<laughs> so we are on an exciting times. We're almost done with the third canto. And uh, so therefore we're summarizing and coming to the end of Kapila Muni's speaking to his mom. So we're not, yeah, it's Father's Day, not Mother's Day, but you still get the idea. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So we are reading from the beginning of Chapter 32, just getting my notes here. There we go. Okay. So uh, Kapila Muni is responding to a question that Devahuti asked in chapter 29, verse number 4. Uh, she says, please also describe eternal time, which is a representation of your form, and by whose influence people in general engage in the performance of pious activities. So this chapter is, uh, in the beginning of it, it's discussing this very interesting uh, group of people who, are, who follow Shastra, who live a pious life, but are not necessarily uh, devotional. It, or it's answering the question, can non-devotional Shastric, pious people be delivered from suffering. Okay. So we'll begin with verse number one. Lord Kapila says, The person who lives in the center of household life derives material benefits by performing religious rituals, and thereby he fulfills his desire for economic development and sense gratification. Again and again he acts the same way. Now this is talking about a people that don't exist very much today, right? Most, most uh, you know, people that they, okay, so they, they're focused on household life, and therefore um, they can sometimes be called grihamedes, which are not very exalted folks. But at the same time, they are doing religious rituals, and uh, by doing this, uh, right, you know that, that, that um, continuum, dharma, artha, Kama, moksha. So we're hearing mainly about dharma, artha, kama. You do dharma, religious act. Dharma has different meanings, but in this case, you do religious activities, dharma, so that you can get artha and kama. You can get money, and with money you can have sense gratification. At least that's the theory. Although the Beatles said you can't buy me love. But anyway, that's another thing. Um, verse number two, such persons are ever bereft of devotional service. Okay, so they're not, not devotional, right? Um, due to being too attached to sense gratification, and therefore, although they perform various kinds of sacrifices and take great vows to satisfy the demigods and forefathers, they are not interested in Krishna consciousness devotional service. Right? So, you know, to do anything in this world takes a huge endeavor. My God. Uh, like uh, this young lady who's uh, the, like the best Olympic swimmer ever. She's from right around this area. She's from Bethesda, right? 
Katie, yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, my my niece went to school with her. But my God, did she work hard to become that kind of swimmer, right? And now the uh, World Cup is going on. Except for the people from Iceland, do you think anyone else didn't practice like crazy? <laughs> right? <laughs> Iceland, they're like volunteer firemen and this and that, you know, and they just, and they, they came with a tie with one of the best teams. <laughs> anyway, that's another thing. But anything, it takes huge endeavors sometimes, right? Um, you're a PhD candidate, right? Is that really easy? I mean, you just have to just kind of show up and say, hey, how's it going to your professor? And then do a half hour of work and then go take lunch, do another half hour. It's a lot of work to become a PhD, right? Um, so the, the point being made in this verse kind of is saying, okay, so it takes a lot of work to do anything, so make sure you're doing your work in the right direction. You know, we've given that example 20 times, right? Don't climb the ladder of success and at the end of life see that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall, right? All right, so here, um, they're, they're too much attached to sense gratification. They perform various kinds of sacrifice, take great vows to satisfy the demigods and the forefathers, and, you know, but not necessarily Krishna. All right. So text three, this is one that was on the homework assignment. Such materialistic persons, attracted by sense gratification and devoted to the forefathers and demigods, so that's a repeat of the last verse, can be elevated to the moon, to, meaning to the higher planets, where they drink an extract of this soma plant. They again return to this planet. So, you know, sense gratification has so many different terms, and we like, you know, it's an evil thing, sense gratification, but we can at least think of it in general terms as um, doing stuff for our pleasure instead of God's pleasure. Right? And it, you know, it can extend from there and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, yes. We have Maha with us today. Wow, what an honor. Hare Krishna. <laughs> Um, because she, you know, she did that bake sale that helped get us the cows. Huge service. <laughs> um, but one, so in the purport, Prabhupada says, but one cannot remain there for a very long time. So it's, it's going to the higher planets. It's considered like a roller coaster ride because it may seem like wow, soma rasa and all this nice stuff, but then eh, you know, you know, what goes up must come down, right? There's another song like that. Life on the moon is said to last 10,000 years according to the calculation of the demigods. The demigods' time is calculated in such a way that one day, 12 hours, is equal to six months on this planet. So, um, a few things here. One is that time is relative, right? What are the, 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 the flies that last, they live like 12 hours? Yeah, what are they called? Mayflies, yes. They so, they're... 100 years is those 12 hours, but they f they're feeling in their way that they are living a long life, right? Or I had uh, a colleague that had a, a dog, I think it was 19 years old, and then they figured that's like 86 years or something like that in dog life, right? So we understand time is relative. In that sense, right? So here, Prabhupada's talking about the relativity. But what I really found interesting 
was um, where he says they cannot remain there for a very long time. And then he goes on to say that uh, 10,000 years is not a very long time. So it reminded me of this um, paragraph in the Bhagavad Gita, where purport, Srila Prabhupada says, one should be captivated by this information. He's talking about the information of the spiritual world. And so we should be captivated. It's not like, oh, yeah, okay, uh, there's uh, hundreds of thousands of Lakshmis or Gopis and all the cows are, uh, uh, you know, Sarabi cows and every word is a song, every step is a dance. Okay, but, you know, who won the World Cup game? You know, right? You know, we're, so Srila Prabhupada was saying we should be captivated by this information. She's like, wow, that's where I want to go. He should desire to transfer himself to that eternal world and extricate himself from this false reflection of reality. That's a strong statement. For one who is too much attached to this material world, it is very difficult to cut that attachment. But if one takes to Krishna consciousness, there is... Um, well, wait a second. Oh. Hold on. Oh, yes. I'm reading the right purport that I wanted to read at the next verse. <laughs> For this verse, I wanted to read this, where Prabhupada says, these hundred years of earth calculations, this is talking about Brahma's life, total 311 trillion, 40 billion earth years. By these calculations, the life of Brahma seems fantastic and interminable. But from the viewpoint of eternity, it is as brief as a lightning flash. Isn't that amazing? As we, so 11, 311 trillion years is like a lightning flash in eternity. And then we get upset if we're at the grocery store and we have to wait on a long line for five minutes or something like that. You know? Or that, that light is taking a long time to turn green. <laughs> right? So everything's relative. But I, wasn't that, isn't that an amazing statement? You know, she'll probably say from, from the viewpoint of eternity... 311 trillion, 40 billion years, just like, eh, you know, jump change. Just right. So what to speak of, the, but, and here Srila Prabhupada is saying, they cannot remain there a very long time, 10,000 years. Imagine if you could live 10,000 years in this body. Your skin would be very wrinkled. That's one thing right? <laughs> You'd have all kinds of aches and pains. But if you were the only one, then you would actually feel great loss because all the people that you know and like and love would all be coming and going after a hundred years at the most, right? So you'd see so many people that you know and love come and go. I guess you could get pretty philosophical if you were smart, but uh, yeah. <clears throat> Any thoughts on this verse? Purport this point? Yes? Uh, do we have a microphone? Oh, hold on. We're going to get the microphones in place. We want to hear your transcendental voice. Hare Krishna. Oh, we heard his transcendental voice. Hare Krishna, just an kind of imaginary questions. 
like how how is Lord Brahma lives lives like living such a long time? Because we mentioned that when we live a long time by ourselves, it's kind of so isolated or solitude. And how is Lord Brahma's life? Because he, he's the creator. Like in the beginning, there's nothing, and at the end, is there nothing? And during his lifetime, does he suffer from this solitary situations? Well, I think he, uh, I haven't read a lot about that, but we could understand that he's also associating with people a very, very, very long lifetimes because he's not on this planet, right? He's in the higher planets where, right? So. That's one point. The second point is that he was, you could say, lonely or you know by himself. But then he performed. He you know he found Krishna, or Krishna found him, right? And of course, when you're with uh, Krishna, then you know there's no loneliness. Even Srila Prabhupada, when he was coming on the boat or on the Jaladuta or um, living alone in the Bowery. He said, I am never alone. He said, I am always with my Guru Maharaj. So, um, Lord Brahma, as we see also in the 10th canto, has different pastimes with devotees, even with Brijbasis, right? Sometimes, and he also makes a few boo-boos every now and then. Um, so, it would be understood that he, that certainly by Krishna's arrangement, he would also have association. And this Lord Brahma is a devotee, so that Lord Brahma, our Lord Brahma, um, uh, also he comes in the uh, incarnation as Haridas Thakur in Lord Chaitanya's pastimes, and then he's associated with Lord Chaitanya and all all those devotees. So, is that all right? Uh, pass the mic. And from Lord Brahma's perspective, he's just living 100 years. Yeah, that's right. He's living 100 years. Only 100 years. And yeah. during that 100 years of his time, so many yugas come and go and so many demigods <laughs> come and go. But still for him, it just feels like just 100 years of his time. Yep. And time passes quickly. As you get older, time seems to go faster, doesn't it? When I was a child, I remember, you know, summer vacations seemed to last forever. Last forever, right? And now I'm thinking, gosh, it's just going to be a few days until Labor Day, and, you know, it's going to be cool again, you know, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> so time is so relative, isn't it? Right? If you found that, we've talked about this before, if you found this class really boring, this next hour and five minutes is going to seem like eternity. Right? And if you find it really interesting, then it's like, oh, wow. It's already time for a Japa program. It's a time is relative in so many different ways. So many different ways. Time is a fascinating thing. Yeah. Okay, should we go on to verse 4? Uh, all the planets of the materialistic persons, including all the heavenly planets, such as the moon, are vanquished when the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Hari, goes to his bed of serpents, which is known as Anantashesha. And Prabhupada writes at the end of this purport, the statement in Bhagavad Gita that persons who worship the demigods have lost their intelligence is confirmed in this verse. These less intelligent persons do not know that even if they are promoted to the heavenly planets at the time of dissolution, they themselves, the demigods, and all the planets that will be annihilated. 
They have no information that eternal blissful life can be attained. And that's when I wanted to read this point about one should be captivated by this information. He should desire to transfer himself to the eternal world and extricate. What does extricate mean? Get out of? Yeah, but it's in a really, it's quite a, it's almost anamana poetica. You know what that is? When a word sounds like what it means? Extricate. <laughs> yeah, right. Get out of, yeah. Uh, and to extricate himself from the false reflection of reality. For one is too much attached to this material world, it is very difficult to cut that attachment, but if he takes to Krishna consciousness, there is a chance of gradually becoming detached. One has to associate with devotees, those who are in Krishna consciousness. One should search out a society dedicated to Krishna consciousness and learn how to discharge devotional service in this way, he can cut off his attachment to the material world. One cannot become detached from the attraction in the material world simply by dressing himself in saffron cloth. He must become attached to the devotional service of the Lord. So that's the secret of how to deal with this world is in a detached way, not riding... I don't know, is anyone else's mind like that? You know, when something disturbing, like an email comes, and you're like, and then you're, right? And then something good happens, and, uh, you know, and we ride the waves of the material world. But someone who's detached, it doesn't mean cold hearted. It just means almost like an observer watching how the material world plays out, right? And you attain that consciousness. The last point here is when we're close to Krishna. When we love Krishna, then. Uh, Janayat yasu vairagyam gyanam come. That causeless knowledge and detachment come about. And this causeless knowledge is really important because I was just um, hearing about this and thinking about this. You know, the tenth canto of of the Srimad Bhagavatam or the Krishna book. Um, here, I, let me see. I wrote something about this to a devotee just a few minutes ago. Let's see. Oops, wrong one, sorry. One second more. Um, I, wrote, I wrote her, it's really cool that you're reading Krishna book, exclamation point. Krishna's pastimes are not too complicated. They are, in one sense, simple, yet they cannot be easily understood just by the power of our intelligence. In their simplicity, they are inconceivable. They reveal his personality, his characteristics. It's like an all-powerful king of yesteryears taking off his crown and in his private quarters, being with people he loves and trusts the most. The king in private quarters wrestles with his son, speaks, in, uh, speaks intimately with his wife, but he is still the king. He doesn't lose his power. So why does Krishna come here and show his pastimes as you are uh, reading in Krishna book? That's answered at the end of the ninth canto, and then there's this one verse to show causeless mercy to the devotees who would take birth in the future in the age of Kali. 
the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna, acted in such a way that simply by remembering him, one will be freed from all the lamentation and unhappiness of material existence. So it's, so it's interesting, you know, sometimes it seems like, well, reading Krishna book, it's so... Anyway, I, I like this point. It's, simp it's not complicated, um, but it's, in its simplicity, it's inconceivable. And it's actually very, very sweet if we understand that this is Krishna, the Supreme Lord, the source of all the universes, behaving in this way to show his loving pastimes with his devotees. Any thoughts on that or other things in this verse? No? Okay, chapter, verse number five. Those who are intelligent and are of purified consciousness are completely satisfied in Krishna consciousness. Free from the modes of material nature, they do not act for sense gratification. Rather, since they are situated in their own occupational duties, they act as one is expected to act. So in the previous verse, right, or in the purport, Srila Prabhupada said, you know, he again says the worshippers of demigods are less intelligent. And of course, we don't see a lot of demigod worshippers, at least not, you know, in the, in the traditional sense of the term in Western culture. Um, but the idea of just that when fruits are temporary, whether they last 10,000 years or 10,000 minutes or 10 minutes, going over the, after those fruits, instead of having an eternal loving relationship with the most beautiful loving person, that's not very intelligent in comparison to choose the, to choose the former, right? And uh, uh, Sukadev Goswami, you know, he has this very challenging task, right? He's writing, he's reciting the Bhagavatam. And he, before the gopis say this, he's, uh, he's quoting them in the end of the ninth chapter, Canto, where he says that, because he's trying to give us an idea of just how beautiful Krishna is, right? Because his, his beauty is unlimited and inconceivable. And so for us, what does that mean, unlimited beauty? It doesn't, it's hard to, you know, fathom in our level of realization, but he at least gives us one example from the gopis that they are, like, they are super upset. It's not joking. They're super upset at Lord Brahma for creating eyelids. Right? Do, you, do you even notice when your eyes blink for the most part? I don't notice for the most part. But they're so upset that for that one, whatever, sixteenth of a second, they can't see Krishna's beauty. They're like, you know, cursing him. <laughs> so imagine someone was that beautiful that you were upset that, you know, your eyes blinked for a second. That is uh, beauty. So the beauty of this world, it's like, you know, eh. Or you could say it's nice because it's a reflection of Krishna's beauty. But Krishna's beauty is just like, whoa. Even if you go to, I don't know, what's a beautiful place, you know, um, uh, the Grand Canyon or, or Yosemite or some of the most beautiful natural um, I like uh, Lake Louise in, in uh, Canada you know, but I don't go there and like don't blink right <laughs> you know it's not that <laughs> wonderful but, so this is Krishna's beauty 
And this was Sukadeva Goswami. He chose that example to take out to try to give us some idea, some idea of what Krishna's beauty is like. <laughs> In the purport, probably, any points, on, any questions or comments on that? Yes? Mataji? Uh, microphone. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Uh, when you spoke about the beauty, uh, I was just thinking, uh, they say beauty is in the eyes of the beholder, right? So, because Krishna, uh, because the gopis were so pure, they were able to see Krishna's beauty. Um, and as you were saying a few minutes ago that all these sound good, but you know, from my point of view, it sounds like uh, not something that I can't experience. Um, so I was just uh, thinking, even seeing Krishna here, maybe he's more beautiful than what I can see, even the deity form. Um, so what should we do, like, uh, from my level, <laughs> to see the more beauty? Of well, him? as it's, it's a great, that's a really fantastic point about an example of the deities. Because we may have some appreciation for their beauty now, but as we become purified and develop a more intimate relationship with them, they reveal more of their beauty. So a non-devotee might just look and say, oh, you know, nice, whatever, I don't even want to repeat what they might say. But they might appreciate the garlands or, you know, uh, or whatever. But um, uh, for us, uh, especially when we render them service, then we develop a relationship with deities. Just like you have deities at home, yeah, so you develop a relationship with them because you're serving them regularly. Also, it's often, my experience is, um, again, I, I think I, you know, sorry about using mundane examples, but uh, Rod Stewart and Cheryl Crow both sang this song, The First Cut is the Deepest. So are the first deities that we served, they usually have a special place in our heart. So I travel around the world, and of course I have, you know, I've been able to do some service with Radha Madame Mohan, but still somehow Radha Kunjabihari in Detroit are, uh, you know, kind of like, because uh, they were the first deities that I served. So yes, that's a, but that's a beautiful example that you're giving now, that they're actually um, uh, beauties in the eyes of the beholder. So um, you can imagine what Srila Prabhupada sees when he sees the deities. Right? It's not the same as us. Yeah, he actually sees them dancing, you know, on the altar. Because they are, they're dancing. <laughs> you had a point? Thank you for that. I was Andy's getting a lot of exercise today. <laughs> I was about to share a pastime from Brahmanujacharya's life. Okay. So it ties in with the point that Mataji was making on the discussion we had. Um, one time there was a procession of the deities of uh, the Sri Rangam temple and everybody was absorbed in watching the deities, the beauty of the deities. But Ramanujacharya noticed one person who was so absorbed in the beauty of his uh, female companion. And everybody was making fun of him, but he was so oblivious to that. So he was watching it for some time and said, let go and talk to him and ask him to come and meet me. So, he, they later the person comes and says, like, who are you? 
do you know what you are doing and that people are making fun of you and he says like my name is danurdas i am the wrestler with, with the king in this kingdom and the female associate i am with is the courtesan in the uh, king's court and what what are you doing i'm so attracted to her beauty so not, even if people make fun of me i cannot even notice that because i am so captivated by her beauty so ramanujacharya says come to the temple in the evening i will show you something that is even more beautiful than what you are captivated by so the person says uh, if there is something more beautiful than that they definitely then i will switch it but i will come so in the evening when he comes ramanujacharya takes him in front of uh, ranganath swami in srirangam and uh, when the aarti was happening and he is so captivated by the beauty of the supreme lord like he immediately falls at the feet of ramanujacharya and says please accept me as your disciple i just want to serve the supreme lord under your guidance <laughs> so just a pure devotee's uh, mercy allowed him to see the beauty of the supreme lord even though he was not qualified yes very nice so in the purport prophet writes the first class example of this type of man is arjuna arjuna was arjuna was a chatriya and his occupational duty was to fight generally kings fight to extend their kingdoms which they rule for sense gratification but as far as arjuna is concerned he declined to fight for his own sense gratification he said that although he could get a kingdom by fighting with his relatives he did not want to fight with them but when he was ordered by krishna and convinced by the teachings of bhagavad gita that his duty was to satisfy krishna then he fought thus he fought not for his sense gratification but for the satisfaction of the supreme personality of god and then a little further in unpurified consciousness one thinks of himself as a lord of the universe or at least i don't know if we all walk around thinking you know but it meaning that that the universe is meant for our pleasure at least that much right but in purified consciousness one thinks himself the eternal servant of the supreme personality of godhead putting oneself in that position of eternal servitorship to the supreme lord and working for him perpetually one actually becomes completely satisfied as long as one works for his personal sense gratification he will always be full of anxiety that is the difference between ordinary consciousness and krishna consciousness so um that's a you know that in a nutshell that last part that we read is so important isn't it that uh we we sometimes kick and scream uh about you know or we we'll let him put it this way we we can be very easily attracted to the things going on in this world right but um um it does put us in anxiety but when we actually serve krishna we i think we all have that experience whether it's picking up our japa beads or reading the shrimad bhagavatam or doing the sunday serve or doing some kind of service for krishna or something related to krishna oof what a relief right because we're actually reestablishing or at least for that period of time who we are shivara swarupa hoye krishna niti das for krishna's servant so that 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 at least for that period of time anxiety is gone and um happiness but not like the happiness of like you know 
um, having uh, whatever, um, a nice, uh, I don't know, something good happen in our life. Um, but one feels satisfaction, tushti it's called in Sanskrit, in the heart, when one does service to Krishna. Um, and one can feel the difference, and I think we can all experience that uh, difference when we're actually kind of connected with the Krishna energy, when we feel that we're doing some seva, or we're hearing about Krishna, or we're chanting his names, or we're looking at his deity, or we're visiting his holy place, or we're associating with devotees. Um, it has a, it's called a surup siddhi bhakti. It's called the direct, you know, plugging into the power house of direct connection with Krishna. So, any thoughts on that? Okay. Then, the next verse is number six. Well, let's see. Um, so, just to give an overview. Uh, so, Kapila has described three kinds of householders, those who work selfish, selfishly against the principles of Shastra, that we heard about in the last two chapters, if you remember, it was a long time ago. Um, and those who work selfishly according to the principles of Shastra, that's what we've been hearing about the first four verses. And those who perform detached work according to the principles of Shastra, that's what we're going to hear from, we just heard uh, in 5, 6, and 7. Okay, so we are up to six. By executing one's occupational duties, acting with detachment, and without a sense of proprietorship or false egotism, egoism, one is posted in one's constitutional position by dint of complete purification of consciousness. That's the point. Posted in constitutional position, reconnected to who we are. And by thus executing so-called material duties, he can easily enter into the kingdom of God. So doing our duties with detachment, without proprietorship or false ego, um, and fixed in Krishna consciousness, um, we can actually enter the kingdom of God. Yeah. This looks like more like the Nishkama Karma Yoga, right? Yes. Like doing the prescribed duties and yeah, it, it has a purification effect and it has a tinge of bhakti, but it's not, it's not really the predominant, predominated with bhakti. Right. So in, even in that case, how can a practitioner like that is uh, easily able to enter into the kingdom of God? Well, we're going to hear about that in verses 8 to 11. How's that? It's a post-dated check. <laughs> yes, okay, so the next verse... Seven, through the path of illumination, such liberated persons approach the complete personality of God. Well, there you go. I mean, that's, they, they get liberated first, and they approach God, who is the proprietor of the material and spiritual worlds and is the supreme cause of their manifestation and dissolution. Worshippers of the Hiranyagarbha expansion of the personality of Godhead remain within this material world until the end of the two paradhas, when... Lord Brahma also dies. After experiencing the inhabitable time of the three modes of material nature, known as the two paradhas, Lord Brahma closes the material universe, which is covered by layers of earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, etc., and goes back to Godhead. The yogis who become detached from the material world by practice of breathing exercises, pranayama, and control the mind, 
reach the planet of Brahma, which is far, far away. After giving up their bodies, they enter into the body of Lord Brahma. And therefore, when Brahma is liberated and goes to the Supreme Personality of God, it is Supreme Brahman, such yogis can enter into the kingdom of God. That's part of your answer right there. Um, text 11. Therefore, my dear mother, by devotional service, so he's saying don't do that in this verse. He says take directly, take direct shelter of the Supreme Personality of Godhead who is seated in everyone's heart. So he's saying, you know, uh, you're on 95, uh, I-95, take the express lane, and don't worry, I'll pay the bill, <laughs> basically. <laughs> if that helps people who live in Virginia to understand what we're talking about. <laughs> right. <clears throat> My dear mother, Someone may worship the Supreme Personality of Godhead with a special self-interest. But even demigods like Lord, such as Lord Brahma, great sages such as the Sana Kumara, and great munis like Marichi have to come back to the material world again at the time of creation. When the interaction of the three modes of material natures begins, Brahma, who is the creator of this cosmic manifestation and who is full of Vedic knowledge, and the great sages who are authors of the spiritual path and the yoga system come back under the influence of the time factor. They are liberated by their non-fruitive activities and they attain the first incarnation of the Purusha, but at the time of creation they come back in exactly the same forms and positions as they had previously. So, it's more to your answer. They don't, uh, they, you know, bhakti amam abhijananti, Krishna says. You can only know Krishna ultimately through bhakti. So, but a nishkam karma yogi who comes in touch with a devotee is like taking a match to dry grass. Right? It, 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 they take off quickly. So, I just... Uh, okay, the next verse is 16. Is that right? Persons who are too addicted to this material world execute their prescribed duties very nicely and with great faith. They daily perform all such prescribed duties with attachment to the fruit of work. So these are people following the Vedas to, um, and uh, doing their fruit of work. Such persons, impelled by the mode of passion, are full of anxieties and always aspire for sense gratification due to uncontrolled senses. They worship the forefathers and are busy day and night improving the economic development of their family, social, or national life. Such persons are called tri-varjika because they are interested in three elevating processes. What are the three elevating processes? Dharma, Artha, Kama. Yeah. They are adverse to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who can give relief to the conditioned soul. They are not interested in the Supreme Personality's pastimes, which are worth hearing because of his transcendental prowess. Um, so in the second par paragraph, it says, the Supreme Personality of Godhead is here described as Hari Medha, or he who can deliver one from the cycle of birth and death. 
Materialistic persons are never interested in hearing about the marvelous pastimes of the Lord. They think they are fictions and stories, and that the supreme Godhead is also a man of material nature. So isn't that right? You know, most people, they hear Christians, ah, oh, you know. Because, you know, first of all, the whole idea of God being a person and having, you know, likes and dislikes and playing with, you know, being with Radharani and the Cowherd Boys, that's, that's enough. But it's, uh, you know, more than that, it's just like not interested. You know, we just become so captivated by what's going on in the world. Right? And it's become more and more distracting as the years go on, right, with the internet and 24-hour news cycles and cable television and so many things like that, right? I told that story about T.S. Eliot saying that the greatest distraction was newspapers. And now we would consider newspapers relatively tame. That was in the 1930s. We would consider newspapers relatively tame compared to these things and, and the like, right? So, so who has time to hear the marvelous pastimes of the Lord? They are not fit for advancing in devotional service or Krishna consciousness. Such materialistic persons, oh, here it says, are interested in newspaper stories, novels, and imaginary dramas. The factual, and there's a lot, just open up a newspaper and you read a lot about imaginary dramas. Right? Or scary dramas or whatever, but a lot of drama. Now more than ever, right? In the last since the new administration, there's a lot of dramas. Every day is a drama, it seems. When I was younger, you never really knew what the president was doing day to day, you know, unless he was doing like a big thing, right? But now it's like, you know, what he had for lunch, you know. <laughs> the factual activities, and listen to this factual. For Prabhupada, it's not like, oh, maybe this is a question of faith. The factual activities of the Lord, such as Lord Krishna's acting in the battle of Kurukshetra, or his activities of the, uh, or the activities of the Pandavas, or the Lord's activities in Rindavan or Dwarka, are related in the Bhagavad Gita and Srimad Bhagavatam, which are full of the activities of the Lord. But materialistic persons who engage in elevating their position to the, in the material world are not interested in such activities. They may be interested in the activities of a great politician or a great rich man of this world, but they are not interested in the transcendental activities of the Supreme Lord. Um, so the, uh, we can talk about this, but I'll just read the next verse and paragraph because they, they're connected. Uh, the next translation says, Such persons are condemned by the supreme order of the Lord because they are adverse to the nectar of the activities of the Supreme Personality of God, they are compared to stool-eating hogs. They give up hearing the transcendental activities of the Lord and indulge in hearing of the abominable activities of materialistic persons. And isn't that what so much of the news is full of today? Purport. Everyone is addicted to hearing of the activities of another person whether a politician or a rich man or an imaginary character whose activities are created in a novel. Right? Isn't it amazing? I mean, for me, I don't have much interest in it, but when you go to a grocery store and there's so many of those, you know, People Magazine and the National Enquirer and, you know, and they're all usually, you know, so-and-so is getting a divorce or so-and-so, you know. People are really interested in the, uh, 
hearing the activities of another person. There are many, so Prabhupada didn't mince words here. There are so many nonsensical literatures, stories, and books of speculative philosophy. Materialistic persons are very interested in reading such literature, but when they are presented with genuine books of knowledge, like Srimad Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita, Vishnu Purana, and other scriptures of the world, such as the Bible and Quran, they are not interested. And notice how Srila Prabhupada is very broad-minded here. He's including the Bible and the Quran. These persons are condemned, not the Bible or Quran people, the people don't read those things, are condemned by the supreme order as much as a hog is condemned. The hog is interested in eating stool. If the hog is offered some nice preparations such as condensed milk or ghee, he won't like it. He would prefer obnoxious, bad-smelling stool, which he finds very relishable. Materialistic persons are considered condemned because they are interested in hellish activities and not in transcendental activities. The message of the Lord's activities uh, is nectar. And besides that message, any information in which we may be interested is actually hellish. So we can gauge our level of Krishna consciousness by how much we're attracted to hearing about Krishna and how much we're attracted to checking out a dozen or more websites. And it's not, it's not terrible news. Don't worry too much if you're attracted to that. But just try it. Just try to really hear with your heart, not just with your mind, but with your heart, and, and absorb it and appreciate it and hear with faith. And amazing how Krishna reciprocates with us. Then, experience, then compare that experience to Netflix and... You'll have your answer. But it takes some effort on our part. It takes, you know, the example is given of jaundice. Right? Everyone remember that example? Jaundice? Do you remember that, Andy? Yeah. And what does a sugar cane taste like when you're first? Bitter. Yeah, at first it's bitter, but you keep taking it and it becomes sweet. So that's what we need. We need a little of that faith that the hearing about Krishna will become sweet as we do it more and more. But it's a good way to gauge where we're at. And it's, you know, it's, it's the mind can say, you know, play tricks like, well, you know, reading, uh, you know, um, CNN, you just read an article and it's no problem, you know. But the Bhagavatam, you kind of have to get into it and get in the right mood and it's really intent, you know. So we might go for the short term rather than the long term. That's why it's good if we have some kind of plan for reading. And even if you just do a bite size every day, even if it's 10 minutes, whatever, but, and you just, if you feel you're making progress, you'll be more likely to just like, okay, well, what should I read today? Maybe the third canon, maybe the first canon, maybe Nectar of Devotion. You know, and they say, ah, you know. What's in, the, what's in the news today? Right, so it's good to actually have a plan uh, of uh, some kind of... Uh, regular activities that we're doing. Let's, maybe we're going through the Bhagavad Gita. Maybe we're going through the Bhagavatam. Some questions, comments? About hearing? Yes. Uh, my understanding is like, uh, uh, there's always some taste when we speak about the Lord. Uh, there's always what? Some taste? Yes, like, you know, that's my experience. Like, even the child likes... 
you know it, like even a child like we have krishna book children enjoy reading uh, krishna book so our uh, acharyas had uh, created enormous amount of uh, scriptures uh, to meet all types of people in all categories mm-hmm. uh, i really feel like really other than like really mundane people who are really crazy uh, have nothing to do maybe they might be in that category uh, but like in general like i see anybody uh, we talk about krishna they really interested uh, that's children are interested till they become teenagers <laughs> and there's a little hiatus and then they realize that it was actually they had a good thing going in their younger childhood <laughs> like uh, i see mahabharat like if you bring nice stories inside mahabharat the teenagers yeah. also love them yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes Anything else? Okay. Well, we're doing pretty well here. We're um we have a half hour left. And let me see if there had anything in my notes here. So these are we're coming to the conclusion of Lord Kapila's teachings. Text 20. Such material in the after 22 that that the conclusion begins. not now such materialistic persons are allowed to go to the planet called pitriloka by the southern course of the sun but they again come back to this planet and take birth in their own families beginning again the same fruit of activities from birth to the end of life when the results of their pious activities are exhausted they fall down by by higher arrangement and again come back to this planet just as any person raised to a high position sometimes all of a sudden falls my dear mother i therefore advise you so this is a summary that you take shelter of the supreme personality of godhead for his lotus feet are worth worshiping accept this with all devotion and love for thus you can be situated in transcendental loving service and prabhupad writes at the very end putana came to kill krishna by poisoning him but because krishna was pleased to suck her breast he was given the same she was given the same position as his mother devotees pray therefore that if a demon who wanted to kill krishna gets such an exalted position what does what should they go what why should they go to any other um to to any other than krishna for their worshipful attachment There are two kinds of religious activities, one for materialistic advancement and the other for spiritual advancement. By taking shelter under the lotus feet of Krishna, one is endowed with both kinds of prosperity, material and spiritual. Why should they go to any demigod? Hmm. So yes, if Krishna can help Putana like that, what to speak of us, we think. Hey, I'm a devotee. I'm not like Putana. I'm not trying to kill Krishna. Right. So, this is the idea. This is the main point when we hear about demigod worship. And the main point is, it's we should. Why take shelter of anyone else except Krishna? Confirmed by the air conditioning. Engagement in Krishna consciousness. Next verse. an applic- engagement in krishna consciousness and application of devotional service under krishna make it possible to advance in knowledge and detachment 
as well as in self-realization. Prabhupada writes, it is said by less intelligent men that bhakti yoga or devotional service is meant for persons who are not advanced in transcendental knowledge and renunciation. But the fact is that if one engages in the devotional service of the Lord in full Krishna consciousness, he does not have to separately attempt separately to practice detachment or to wait, await for the awakening of transcendental knowledge. It is said that one who engages unflinchingly in the devotional service of the Lord actually has all the good qualities of the demigods developed in him automatically. One cannot discover uh, how such good qualities develop in the body of a devotee, but actually it happens. There is one instance where a hunter was taking pleasure in killing animals but after he became a devotee, he was not prepared to kill even an ant. Such is the quality of a devotee. Those who are very eager to advance in transcendental knowledge can engage themselves in pure devotional service without, wait, without wasting time in mental speculation. Right? So the, the, we, we quoted that verse already earlier, right? That when we please Krishna, we feel detached from the pleasures of this world and we have transcendental knowledge. We understand we're not our body. We understand, you know, all the things that we read about. They go. It's like your example of, um, uh, you know, beauty is the eye of the beholder. So as we make advancement, we see the deities differently. So similarly, as we make advancement, our our detachment and our knowledge, our especially like, let's focus on knowledge. Our that. It goes from being just gan to vigyan. We start realizing. We start feeling it. It's, uh, it's not just here. It's not just in the head. It's actually the consciousness that's purified by connecting with Krishna, by doing bhakti. Thoughts? Yes? Um, very inspiring to see these statements like this where it says, just by execution of devotional service, the performer is blessed with knowledge and detachment right. and all the the transcendental qualities. It's just and the wonderful opportunity has been given by Srila Prabhupada by establishing this iskan, iskan temples and practices. Just we need to just follow his guidelines and just be engaged yeah. in devotional service throughout our life, that's a big blessing. Yeah, and it, but also, and it, this description gives us uh, a hint at the mindset that we should have, right? Because, you know, the, we talk about in the month of Damodar that every time Krishna tried to tie the ropes, it was two, inches, two finger lengths too short, right? And one of them is our endeavor, the one finger... Uh, represents our endeavor to try to please Krishna, and the other finger is, Krishna, is God's mercy. And of the two, the mercy is more prominent and more powerful. So it, it, it implies, th this discussion we're having here about bhakti, um, giving knowledge and detachment, and uh, it implies that getting mercy from above. And that implies a certain mindset that implies, uh, like, like Srila Bhakti Tirtamaraj wrote the, that trilogy called The Beggar, right? It, it implies a certain attitude towards God, an attitude towards Krishna. 
that requires some faith, right? Because you don't want to blindly, you know, say, oh, you know, God is good, God is great, you know, thank you for the food we eat, all men. Uh, you know, we don't want to blindly, but um, by hearing the philosophy, by being convinced, by associating with the devotees that convince, we can, we can, without that voice in the back of our heads saying, why are you doing this? This is crazy. Why don't you just go out and have a good time? Right? Uh, develop this attitude of gratitude and um, sincerity and really um, begging for mercy. I mean, that's an advanced stage of Krishna consciousness. But if, you, if we actually understand how great Krishna is, how great he is, how small we are, how we're in need of his kindness to actually advance, then it's a whole mindset that comes along with it but that's not that those that kind of jewel like mindset doesn't you can't purchase that cheaply right uh, it's going beyond does Krishna exist does Krishna not exist should I do this should I not do this? it goes way beyond that to really you know um, getting serious really serious about spiritual practices you know really trying to go deeper because when we're actually deep, then, you know, then we see the deities and we think, oh my gosh, I'm so, you know, so far away from fully appreciating their beauty. I really got to take this devotional service seriously. Yeah, so, so it's interesting. We read something like this, but we could actually unpack it and talk about, you know, the whole consciousness that really has to go into it to develop this kind of jnana vairagya, you know, detachment and knowledge. Right? It's not, uh, spiritual life is not cheap. Actually, it's not, because uh, ultimately Krishna wants everything. <laughs> because if he, if, we wanna, if he wants to give us everything, you know. But, we, so, but that doesn't mean we have to give everything. You know, we, 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 uh, we, we meet Krishna where we're at. Or, he, or rather, he meets us where we're at. And he's not expecting us to, you know, be... Uh, Srila Prabhupada overnight or something like that. So he meets us where we're at, but we should always want to be a little further than where we're at. Yeah. The exalted devotee's mind becomes equipoised in sensory activities, and he is transcendental to that which is agreeable and not agreeable. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? Right? So, so here... Uh, the significance of advancement in transcendental knowledge and detachment. So those are the two byproducts of bhakti, right, we said, right? When you do bhakti, you automatically get knowledge and detachment. Um, so the significance of advancement in transcendental knowledge and detachment from material attraction is exhibited in the personality of a highly advanced devotee. For him, there is nothing agreeable or disagreeable because he does not act in any way for himself. Whatever he does, whatever he thinks, is for the satisfaction of the Supreme Personality of God. Either in the material world or in the spiritual world, his equipoised mind is completely manifested. He can understand that the material world, there's nothing good. Now we're talking about in the existential sense, in the ultimate sense, right? I mean, obviously there's good, and I mean, you know, the caps won, that's good. No, I'm joking. Uh, but, you know, um, but... He, but He's, uh, I'll read to you something that Prabhupada said later. Um, 
Everything is bad due to its contamination of the material nature. The materialist conclusion of good and bad, moral and immoral, etc., are simply mental concoctions or sentiment. So um, the, this, take, this is a certain uh, outlook that's granted the devotee where um, the devotee, the spiritual practitioner, sees beyond dualities. Right? That this is... Uh, a world of dualities. And when you think about it, we can get pretty much caught up our entire life in dualities, right? That this is good, this is bad, that's really, it's good that the Caps won, I really hope they get to, they don't lose, uh, you know, their uh, right wing or whatever, you know, I don't know that much, uh, hockey's not my sport. But, you know, um, the, 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 we, we really um, go through a lot of our day trying to do things that are, that we that we think are good and avoid things that are bad. And, and the mind thinks like a binary computer, like zero and ones, right? Uh, computers all a bunch of zero and ones. Um, accepting things that we think are good and whatever we, how we want to define good and rejecting things that we don't think are very good and trying to whatever, however we define that. But a person in spiritual consciousness um, can transcend the uh, dualities of this world. Right, just like Krishna says in the Gita that uh, uh, what is that verse? Matcha sparsha sukantaya. How does it begin in the English? The non-permanent appearance of happiness and distress, and their disappearance in due course, are like the appearance and disappearance of the winter and summer seasons. Like today is going to be really hot, right? One must learn to tolerate them without being disturbed, right? Because you know, they, otherwise you, you can get all caught up. Like, you know, what, uh, when I, I, at work, you know, half people just talk about the weather. You know, it's not the most exalted consciousness to just talk about the weather all the time. Um, but so, so, so it's, uh, we're on this roller coaster of happiness and distress, good and bad, and our, we can live a whole life like that. Um, but a true spiritualist it isn't so affected by the ups and downs, or maybe it's a little bit more like that. You know, we all are affected to some extent, right? You know, when it's hot out, it's not that we don't experience it. Because um, their focus is elsewhere, or um, their focus is on more meaningful things, and not just the comings and goings, right? Like, I, I've always been kind of interested in sports, but so when I was a kid, when I was 12, uh, it was, it was like the highlight of my life from that point of view because in one season, I'm from New York, all the three major sports teams won. The New York Knicks won, the Jets, and the Mets. So, wow. And now, of course, it's, it would be torture for anyone to be a fan of any of those teams <laughs> for the last uh, 15 or 20 years. So that's, you know, the ups and downs of this world, right? Um, whereas uh, when we... So what... what uh, Kapiladev is talking to his mother about here in this verse is uh, having the kind of mindset that transcends the uh, agreeable and the disagreeable by being focused on, uh, on another level, on, on the spiritual consciousness that's beyond the uh, modes of material nature. Um, 
the good and bad of this world, Prabhupada quoted this, I think it's a Bengali saying, that, um, you know, that, <laughs> it's kind of graphic, but anyway, that uh, wet stool or dry stool is both stool. Right? You think dry stool, that's very good. Wet stool is kind of messy. But wet stool or dry, it's, um, so, um, it's, uh, it's called manodharma in the, in the um, Bhagavatam that we're just uh, constantly on the uh, mental platform instead of on a spiritual quest. Um, so I'll read this one letter that Prabhupada wrote to um, my dear Dr. Wolf. I beg to inform you, okay, I got your letter. Why should our temples support or denounce Hitler? So I guess some devotee had some, something about Hitler. If somebody says something in this connection, it must simply be some sentiment. We have nothing to do with politics. It is, after all, sentiment. You say something and I say something. In this material world, to say this is good and this is bad has no value. To us, everything material is bad as it is lacking Krishna consciousness. Just like wet stool and dry stool. Stool is stool, but somebody is saying that wet stool is better than dry stool. What is this good and bad? The top side of some stool is dry, the bottom side is wet. But anyway, you take it, the material world is stool, and it must be given up. Therefore, we are trying to get out of the material world and go back home, back to Godhead. But of course, everyone has got some sentiment. If you want that my sentiment be decried, what is the wrong if I say that your sentiment should be decried? In this world of duality, it is good and this is bad has no meaning. It is called manodharma, mental concoction. However, the real truth is that Krishna says that dukalayam asashvatam, the world is a place of misery wherein repeated birth and death take place. Now this is good, mis now, this is good misery or bad misery? Misery is misery. And if you have to die, good die or bad die? So... To us, everything material without connection to Krishna is to be rejected as stool. Otherwise, we will waste valuable time needed to solve the real problems of life, namely birth, death, disease, and old age. I hope this meets you in good health, your ever well-wisher. So he, tell it like it is. <laughs> but it's, it's interesting if we can at least practice this in this way to catch ourselves when we're thinking only in terms of good and bad and, and try to uh, see if we can transcend that. Also because we don't really know what's good and bad because what sometimes seems like bad may be Krishna's arrangement in our life for something ultimately good. Right? So, yes. Any thoughts on this? Yes. Oh, wait. I'll repeat it. It's okay. It goes on. Okay. There's thousands of people that want to hear your question. Uh-oh. Two million last time we checked. No. <laughs> you were talking, uh, probably, you were talking uh, earlier, you were saying that not to be intellectual, not, not to get caught up in the intellectualities of understanding of, uh, of you know, manifesting. But with so much reading. So much greedy? Reading. Reading. Yeah. That's the intellectual process. To be greedy or to get read, money? Read. Oh, read. read. I'm sorry. I thought you said greed. No. Uh, you know, all of, this is in, all of this is intellectual. 
Right. So how can one transcend that intellectuality that you know gives the understanding? In a, you know, I, and I intuit quite a bit. So you know, that's a great that question. That's a great question. Well, um, a lot of it depends on how we define a term, and really important in any discussion to have clear what we mean by defining terms. Uh, when I said what I was trying to say, I may not have said it clearly enough, is that while intellect is helpful, it's what is it necessary but not sufficient. Uh, or another way to say it is that we by our own intellectual muscle, we don't get everywhere. But when Krishna empowers our intellect, then we start seeing things as they are. And another way to look at it is that, let's say, reading of scriptures is not just an intellectual exercise. It's actually one of the most potent items of bhakti. And especially if we're reading it in the right consciousness. So hearing, um, it's really, you know, you can hear in different levels of consciousness, right? I was on a conference call this morning, and the person on the other end was clearly distracted. <laughs> because every time I would make a point, I'd say, what do you think about it? There was a bunch of people on the call. Uh, but I would call on him, and he would say, what was the question again? <laughs> right? So there could be hearing like that. We can be hearing, you know, while answering emails, right? He was probably answering emails or playing solitaire or something, uh, right? Um, we can be hearing and thinking the whole time what we're going to say next. Or we could be hearing that, wow, this is, the, this is the absolute truth coming by Krishna, written by Srila Prabhupada. Let me purify my heart and my consciousness by hearing this, uh, having this knowledge transcend, you know, into my mind or into my ears, if we're reading out loud, into my heart. And that's not just an intellectual process. That's actually a very devotional process. But we, um, so uh, intelligence is, is good. And even Prabhupada writes that this, uh, having doubt is a sign of intelligence. So it's good to have doubts and have the doubts cleared. Um, but, but you're absolutely right. Krishna consciousness, even this reading of books, is not solely an intellectual exercise. It's actually, uh, if it's done in the right consciousness, it's a spiritual practice. Is that all right? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Another question? Yeah, uh, microphone. As we were discussing about the duality, the thought that came to me was like, the duality is there only because I am seeing everything independently of God. If I start seeing everything in relationship to God, then that duality is not there, whether right. it's good or bad. Because it's like, okay, I see everything that's happening to me or everything that's happening in the world is in connection with the Supreme Lord and everything, the creation itself is from Him. So then I start making progress in coming out of that duality mindset. Right, because you're not thinking in a dual way, good and bad. You're thinking, oh, this will help me remember Krishna more. Yes. So I have a relation, uh, uh, echoes Prabhu's thought and as well as 
so in that case that like if everything is related to krishna then like when we see why we are seeing good and bad like okay uh, i'm talking about in general different philosophies different religion in different things even in mahabharat like duryodhana is a bad person kamsa is a bad person so everything is relationship to the god and then why we have differentiate that i understand prabhu was saying it's like internally that like when we see and what we experience there is no duality when we see the relationship with the god uh, to see our own emotions and our our sense reactions but externally how we are differentiating that I, i would like to understand that prabhu well we do we still differentiate you know like like it says uh, when um, describing the six symptoms of uh, surrender and the first two are anukulyasya sankalpa and pratikulyasya varjanam to accept favorable and and reject unfavorable things in terms of bhakti in terms of krishna in terms of our devotion so so in one sense we are ex- are accepting and rejecting or our likes and dislikes are just purified by not thinking about what will my sense gratitude my pleasure but krishna's pleasure so so in one sense the accepting and rejecting still goes on but the criteria totally changes and the criteria is then very selfless it's for for krishna's pleasure um so that is so we're not just and that automatically makes us less affected by the so-called good and bad of this world is kind of what Raghunandan Prabhu is saying jai sri sri gornitai sri sri krishna <coughs> radhamadan mohan and sitaram lakshman hanuman i'm so used to still being in vrindavan krishna balaram <laughs> uh hmm. so the agreeable and disagreeable changes from personal yeah so let's just read this last verse for today because of his transcendental intelligence the pure devotee is equipoised in his vision and sees himself to be uncontaminated by matter he does not see anything as superior or inferior and he feels himself elevated to the transcendental platform of being equal in qualities with the supreme person prabhupad writes perception of the disagreement of dis- of the disagreeable arises from attachment A devotee has no personal attachment to anything therefore for him there is no question of agreeable or disagreeable in other words for themselves but still we say kangsa was bad and yudhishthir was good because of that's what krishna yeah for krishna's pleasure for the service of the lord he can accept anything even though it may be disagreeable to his personal interest so sometimes we may be asked to do some service even at the temple or something that's not quite up to our liking but still it's a great opportunity to transcend what we like and don't like and uh so uh Hri Dayanandamaraj tells a story about you know he's a very intellectual person and he was a a scholar at the uh, University of California Berkeley and he came to the temple and they said you're a big scholar right let me introduce you to Krishna's pots and he started washing pots <laughs> right so uh and i could say for myself probably pot washing was the, the happiest i've ever been in as a devotee washing pots and trying to get them sparkling clean right uh so 
we just ultimately we just want to do service and what it is you know in in Brindavan the uh, the marble is uh, white and black marble and Krishna Balaram are white and black marble and Prabhupada said that, it, that it don't 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 just want to be a pujari and dress the deities he said whether you're dressing the deities you know a very prestigious position or you're mopping the floor in the temple um, equally equal in the eyes of Krishna in the eyes of Krishna. In fact, he is completely free from personal interest, and thus anything agreeable to the Lord is agreeable to him. For example, for Arjuna, at first, fighting was not agreeable. But when he understood that the fighting was agreeable to the Lord, he accepted the fighting as agreeable. That is the position of a pure devotee. For his personal interest, there is nothing which is agreeable or disagreeable. Everything is done for the Lord. And therefore, he is free from attachment and detachment. That is the transcendental stage of neutrality. A pure devotee enjoys life in the pleasure of the Supreme Lord. And Prabhupada had so much personal conviction because he did this himself. Who, at the age of 70, wants to leave a, you know, at least a spiritually comfortable position being in Vrindavan and go on a steamship? to America with the name of one person in Butler, Pennsylvania, wherever the heck that is, right? And no, 40 rupees in his pocket, which you couldn't even change into dollars in those days. And it would have only been a, as Prabhupada said, pocket change for an hour in New York City, right? So who, so he did, there was no selfish pleasure whatsoever in doing that. A steamship? I mean, maybe if it was a Queen Elizabeth II or something, you know? Uh, that might work, you know, but a steamship, it's just like a, you know, right? And he, he didn't have, and he had to go through so much trouble to get his pa visa, his passport and his visa, and then he ends up on the Bowery, which nowadays it's kind of gentrifying, but in those days, oh my, I was just there last week, or two weeks ago. Um, it, was a, it was a really tough place. First, he ends up in Butler, Pennsylvania, like, you know, <laughs> no idea. Then he goes to New York again with just nobody, you know, in the name of one Dr. Mishra. You know, so so he lives he lived this purport. He didn't he didn't think for a second agreeable, disagreeable, fun, no fun. Right? He just did it for Krishna's pleasure. Right? And he just, you know, surrendered to Krishna, make make them dance, O oh Lord, make them dance. Make me dance, make me dance, O oh Lord, he wrote. Okay, so we got done with the verses that we had to cover. I'll send out the homework assignments, but we'll finish chapter 32 and probably even start chapter 33, which is the last chapter in this canto. So uh, keep cool. It's a hot day today. And, but we won't talk about the weather because that's, that's the dualities of the world. <laughs> Hare Krishna, all glories to Srila Prabhupada.